Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, after Die Hard rewrote the rules of the action movie, studios couldn't help but try to repeat its success by slavishly replicating its plot in a host of different locations. So we had Die Hard on a boat in Under Siege, Die Hard on a plane in Air Force One, and Die Hard on a mountain in Cliffhanger. But such was Hollywood's enthusiasm for churning out these thinly disguised knockoffs, it wasn't long before they ran out of sensible locations for them. Yet, just as it seemed there was nowhere left to regurgitate the Die Hard formula, someone had a brainwave. Let's do Die Hard in an ice rink. That film was 1995's Sudden Death, which saw Jean-Claude Van Damme take on a gang of ruthless terrorists who've taken the vice president hostage during the deciding game of the ice hockey championship. So, given that we're talking about tired formulas that people are sick of seeing endlessly repeated, I'm once again joined by my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Not bad, mate. That's a very nice intro. People are often sick of the sight of me, so uh, it's good that the people on the internet know that. Well, I'm pretty tired of you. I wouldn't say I'm I'm at saturation point yet, but FYI, we're getting close. Okay, this might be... I need to redeem myself on this podcast. Yeah, bring your A-game here, Beldara. Okay, no promises. Now, I've got to confess, I'm quite excited about this show because we're going to be looking at a film which I think is a bit undervalued as a film and has an exploding helicopter scene which is operatic in intensity. What do you think about this, Dara? The exploding helicopter in this is off the scale. It's grandiose. There's some really awful elements to it, but it's also... It's the sort of thing that I had to watch three times. I was that (laughs) impressed with it. I've seen a lot of exploding helicopters, but operatic's a good description it's very grand it's ridiculous but yeah we'll talk about it more in more depth later on we sure will and there's plenty to talk about with that exploding helicopter but before we go any further i should note that we've reached an important landmark with the exploding helicopter podcast we're officially one year old Woo-hoo! yeah exactly i mean dara in your wildest dreams did you ever imagine that you'd spend so much of your time pretending to be a scholar of an invented micro genre of films just think of all the things I could have done in that in that time that I've uh, wasted. I mean, used for this uh, <laughs> interesting podcast. I think we serve an important part of the film community with these uh, offerings. You know, we do it free of a charge. It's a labour of love. So, um, yeah, I'm, it's very pleasing to get to, to one years old. I'm sure there are literally tens of people out there who appreciate the sacrifice that you're making. We might have got to 10. That's true. (laughs) It might now be double figures. It might be double figures. Okay, but on a serious note, I I would like to thank everyone who listens. You know, we appreciate every download and we only do this for your entertainment. So we hope you continue to enjoy these shows. But before I get all teary with uh, heartfelt messages, I, uh, Dara, I wanted to check in with you about anything interesting you've seen lately. If I'm going to watch a film, I try and sort of check out the reviews beforehand. So, you know, two hours of everyone's time is precious. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave this quite a good rating, and I think they got quite a good rating in The Guardian as well. It's uh, The Survivalist. Obviously, it's a well-trodden uh, formula, you know, post-apocalyptic uh, scenario where there's an unnamed virus that's actually decimated the population. There's a virus. We're not really told what it's a, what the cause of it is, but all we know is that the world has basically gone back to nature and we follow this guy who's lived on his own for seven years, managed to keep sort of marauding packs at bay just by his own ingenuities. And he survives really by keeping himself to himself. And, you know, anyone who comes across his path, he kills them. 
two young women, well, a mum and a daughter stumble across his house. And it's the dilemma of what he should he invite them in. They obviously on their last ends, can, you know, they won't survive without him. And it's kind of out of place. It's very stark. There's not much dialogue, um, but really interesting morally. Uh, moral conundrums that he has to deal with. I, I definitely recommend this film. It's very interesting. Well, I saw the reviews for this film when it came out and it got some really good reviews. I was quite keen to see it, but it got very limited release. So unfortunately, I couldn't really find a nearby cinema that made a, a viewing uh, work for me. But it's definitely one that I want to check out. Uh, from what I understand, though, this was filmed in Northern Ireland. Um, I don't, is it set in Northern Ireland as well? I think it's an unnamed, obviously all the cast are Irish. It's sort of, they don't go into a lot of detail about the wider world where they are. I would imagine it's set in the UK or Ireland, but you, you never, you're never told. Because you were saying that this sort of formula of film had been done to death. And because of the Northern Ireland connection, I was thinking, well, this is this could be the first post-apocalyptic film set in Northern Ireland. But if they're not making that part of the story, then that's I guess that sort of badge for a film is still up for grabs. Yeah, I mean, some people might say Northern Ireland is post-apocalyptic right now, just by the looks of things. That would be racist. Um, obviously, it's a very nice place to go. But yeah, so the, this is it's probably an improvement once the trees have taken over some of the horrible grey landscape of Northern Ireland. So yeah, it's probably nicer now, uh, now once the uh, once the virus kicks in. Well, if we did have a listener in Northern Ireland, I think we've probably lost them now. Oh, we're um, back down to nine again. We're oh, back down to down. nine. <laughs> Okay, we have to get back up to double figures. We need to find that extra extra listener somewhere, Dara. So, okay. uh, you know, you've lost this guy or girl. You need to get on finding a replacement for them. So, uh, yeah, come back to me with who you found and who you've recruited. Okay. I think it's time we got stuck into sudden death. So take it away, trailer man. Tonight, 17,000 hockey fans have been taken hostage. Enough bombs have been planted in this building to stop all the clocks in the hemisphere. But only one of them knows it. I'm going to try to stop you. I know where the bombs are, so I know where you're going. Then come and get me. We are going to do this by the numbers. What number was that? Now he has more to lose than anyone. I said no vehicles on the grounds, no helicopters in the air. What part of that did you not understand? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Powers Boost. So Sudden Death came out in 1995 and it stars Jean-Claude Van Damme as a traumatised fireman who now works as a safety inspector at an ice hockey stadium. During the season's Big Cup final, terrorists take the vice president hostage and threaten to blow up the arena unless their ransom demands are met. Opposite the muscles from Brussels is Powers Booth as the despicable terrorist leader. The film was directed by Peter Hyams, who also made conspiracy thriller classic Capricorn One and Time Cop, which also starred Van Damage. Dara, what did you make of Sudden Death? I was fully expecting to hate this film. Not a huge John claude Van Damme fan, unlike your good self. I know you've got a little <laughs> shrine in your bedroom to him. I have to say, I'm surprisingly pleased with my enjoyment levels maybe it, it helps to have a very low bar when you watch these type of films but i enjoyed the bad guy who was quite good in this powers booth i've not come across him very much but i, I really 
I liked him. He was very menacing. Reminds me of uh, another exploding helicopter favourite, uh, Robert Davy. Kind of had a swarthy violence under the surface to his character. Basically, it's a, it's a thriller. And they do manage to keep the sort of thrill content going throughout the film. You know, the countdown, obviously, uh, Powers Booth needs this money to be transferred from these locked accounts to his bank account by sort of end of the game. So we've got the game going on in the background. And will Van Damme manage to get to all the bombs before, you know, the end of the game? Will it, will it be resolved? I thought it was quite thrilling. And we've got an amazing expelling helicopter at the end, which was one of the best I've ever seen. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed this, Dara, because I'm always slightly nervous with these sorts of uh, genre action movies because uh, we seem to have a bit of a hit-and-miss relationship with these sort of films. Sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't. And I personally think that Sudden Death is is a great over-the-top action movie. It's really fun. It's a film that embraces its own absurdity. And as you said yourself, it's got a fantastic villain in the shape of Powers Booth. And in the world of the die-hard novel, off. I think Sudden Death is uh, one of the better ones out there. I was quite surprised by the sort of production levels were quite high. Um, it looks like they spent quite a lot of money on the film. You know, there's a ton of, ton of extras there. They've got the whole civic uh, arena that they've used uh, where the Pittsburgh Penguins play hockey. The exploding helicopter things at the end, they spent a lot of money on that. There's a lot of things going on. I felt the direction was very sort of professional. Obviously, he's an experienced director. It looked good in some places, quite sort of stylish. It was quite a good diehard feel. I mean, the only thing that sort of reduced it from the sort of high level of diehard with Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, he's, I'm sorry to say as well, he's limited to what he can do. He's, he hasn't got those charisma levels of a Bruce Willis or, or an Arnie. Well, I know you're not the world's biggest Van Damme film, and he's not an actor that I would particularly go to bat for, but I do think he is a little bit of an underrated actor. And I know you're probably not watching the straight-to-DTV stuff that he does at the moment, but I think in recent years, he's actually done some really good uh, performances. He did a great prison movie in the early noughties called In Hell, where he actually delivers a really solid performance. And uh, I watched a a sort of taken type knockoff film where somebody uh, steals uh, it wasn't sorry not a taken style uh, knockoff it was actually a kind of crank style knockoff where somebody steals one of van damme's kidneys and you know he gives <laughs> that a, sounds he, good. he gives uh, he gives a good performance in that film and he if you look at some of his early work in things like blood sport and kickboxer he is you know i'm going to make no defense of him he's a terrible actor in those films but if you have watched his films over the years, over the decades, he is somebody who has definitely improved as an actor. And I think he's more interesting to watch as an actor than some of his action peers like Steven Seagal. And even, I would say, he's even more interesting to watch than somebody like Bruce Willis, who just seems bored by his own career. And at least Van Damme is actually trying to do you know some good work in some of these actually you know they might not be very great films but he's actually trying to do some good work in them i take your point i haven't seen all of uh jean claude's oeuvre so i can't comment on his later work i just I, you know i've dipped in here and there and films that i've come across and um, he's you know he's a solid action lead he can do all the stunts he can you know he's not a terrible actor but to sort of elevate something of this nature from kind of entertaining film into something that you repeatedly watch. You do need that extra, that star power, which is why these studios pay the big money. If, for instance, this film was made with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think you'd be looking at, you know, 
30, 30% higher in the ratings than it, than it currently is. I think it's about 50 odd percent in Rotten Tomatoes. Just purely on, you know, charisma factor will get you through some of those, you know, bland moments. It'll help move the plot along. Would you watch it repeatedly? Like you would watch Die Hard? I'm going to make no apology. I would watch this film repeatedly. Probably not as often as Die Hard, but I would be willing to uh, re-watch this film on uh, many occasions. But as we've sort of alluded to, this film is very much like Die Hard. So I thought it might be quite fun to kind of like look at the uh, parallels between the two films. And I don't know, Dara, how many did you see? Perhaps you can uh, sort of, were you able to identify a few? There was a few. Let's kind of uh, go through and see what we've what we've picked up. So let's just start with the the obvious one. Instead of Hans Gruber, you've got uh, Powers Booth as a kind of a sophisticated lover of fine wine and fancy watches psychopath, but with a with a velvet glove. Oh yeah, great similarities there. I noticed uh, quite a few terrible mullets as well, which uh, <laughs> I like the mullet quota in Die Hard, but this is 1995 and still I don't know whether that's hockey fans or just. Uh, people in general like a, a, a terrible amount of mullets in the film that was a, i did when i was watching this i did think that you were going to enjoy the look of the henchmen in this film because they all have long hair they all have single earrings they all wear overly flowery shirts and sunglasses they are the quintessential euro trash look that they've got in this film he's obviously didn't have a lot of people to choose from there's an, <laughs> another another similar celerity diehards obviously he gets the uh, terrorist gang infiltrate the uh, hockey arena as staff members of staff have id cards set up um yeah you've got like a computer expert who's part of their team looking at the checking that the funds are coming very similar to die hard with a computer expert trying to crack the safe van damme ends up in like a white vest at the end of the film a white sort of t-shirt just <laughs> like this as you know blood-stained and covered in dirt yeah there's there's many i don't know what, what ones did you pick up will well he is estranged from his wife just like yes. in Die Hard. The building is rigged to explode. His family is in jeopardy. Um, obviously, it's his kids in sudden death rather than his wife, but still the sort of the idea is the same. You've got a bungled attempt by the police to uh, stop the hostage situation with a helicopter. The villain plummets to his death as well, obviously in a slightly different way, but he still meets his uh, demise through a fall. So, you know, those are all the kind of diehardisms that I sort of picked up along with the ones that you mentioned. He's even carried away in an ambulance right at the end, just like uh, Bruce Willis's. So they, I think they owe some royalties to someone uh, because <laughs> it is a little bit of a ripoff. However, to give them credit, there's enough originality in the film to make you watch it. So for all the ways in which Sudden Death is similar to Die Hard, it's actually very different in execution. And one of the reasons I think for that is because this film was apparently originally conceived as a type of Die Hard parody before being reworked into a more conventional action movie. Certainly that is the account that's been given by some of the people who worked on the script of this film. But it seems that aspect, though, wasn't fully erased because many of the fight scenes within Sudden Death here are are quite unusual and Van Damme creates a number of improvised weapons. Uh, Dara, what did you make of the fight scenes and uh, how they were presented in this film? It's funny that you mentioned that the, uh, you know, it's originally classed as a comedy because the fight scenes are pretty gruesome. Obviously, one that stands out is um, Van Damme's fight with a seven foot penguin mascot. Uh, <laughs> so he's, he's, so he's, he's actually in hand to hand combat with a, you know, seven foot penguin mascot. And it's pretty brutal. They're at, you know, beating the hell out of each other in the kitchen area of the arena. 
the actual violence is actually quite hard and gruesome. And to make some of that violence even more gruesome is the fact that inside that seven-foot penguin, it's actually a woman. Yeah, there's one point where he actually pours chili flakes down her throat, and she's kind of that's <laughs> like like it's almost like I had a like a slapstick kind of plot, and they kind of left some bits of it in. But Van Damme is not really a you know a light touch comic actor, and you know he's a martial artist. He knows his onions. So, you know, they're probably going through the fight scenes and the deaths are actually are quite gruesome. Yeah, because that penguin meets its demise by being strangled in a dishwasher, which I won't try to explain quite the circumstances because it's really sort of impossible to explain. But yeah, it's a pretty gruesome and bizarre death at the same time. This is not lighthearted in any way. I mean, it's an, it's an R-rated film. It's an 18. Any kind of uh, comedy that was in the original script has kind of been rang out of it you know it's a straight up thriller in my book but you know it's quite funny the one of the, the it just i don't think they're meant to be funny but one of the fight scenes where van damme sort of breaks a chicken he's getting throttled by one of the goons and he he gets a chicken bone breaks it on the counter then thrusts it into the guy's guy's neck you see a kind of a wide-eyed terror from the guy <laughs> it's, it's it's not meant to be funny but it's quite funny why do you think that's not meant to be funny? Because that fight scene is set in a kitchen. It could easily have been a knife. It could easily have been anything with a sharp edge. But they obviously made a deliberate choice to have a bone. You know, so it seems to me a very deliberate choice. So I think they were deliberately trying for a moment of absurdity or comedy there at that moment. Mm, not sure. Didn't didn't wash for me. That kind of close up of the entry wound and the guy's sort of horrid face sort of take away any kind of enjoyment I might have get from a improvised joke killing with a chicken bone we do probably also need to talk about the macgyver-esque skills which uh, uh which van damme employs when he starts to construct various improvised weapons so in this film we see him construct a flamethrower out of his son's water pistol and a cigarette lighter that he's uh, found at some point and he also constructs a a kind of dart gun out of a random gas canister and some tubing that he finds uh, lying around i kind of was watching this and i was sort of wondering you know i sort of embraced this film i went with it but i could easily see somebody watching Watching this film and maybe not buying into those particular moments in the film so where did you land with uh, those particular scenes dara so basically the guy is uh, a washed up fireman you know that the story is he uh, was a proper fireman that right at the beginning of the film um, they show him basically failing to save a young girl you see a dead face open and you can see he was distraught and he's been off work for two years just starting to get back get, get on his feet again and you know get back to work so he's doing this sort of job in the in the uh hockey arena no backstory it wasn't a vietnam vet he's not like got a, does side classes in martial arts nothing to show that this he's like a skilled martial artist or a, you know a whiz with weaponry or has any kind of training in this and yet halfway through the film he's down in the janitor's area with a lathe <laughs> turning on a lathe cutting some pipes doing this improvised blow dart thing where you know where's this come from <laughs> it is completely ridiculous it is completely ridiculous, and I kind of feel that by that point, though, we have watched Van Damme fight a woman dressed up as a seven-foot penguin, so I kind of think if you've gone over that hurdle at that point in the film, then you're quite ready to see Van Damme create his own weapons out of the sort of, you know, whatever engineering department they've got at this particular hockey stadium. It would have been so easy to create a backstory for him, though. 
just you know just a scene or a few lines or something like the same way they create the backstory for him having some hockey training and him going in goal saying he was like semi-pro or whatever you could have done that easily you could have introduced that so the character was more plausible what you know this guy's a fireman yeah great fireman are great guys but improvised darts and you know flamethrowers out of water pistols and and the end he makes an improvised bomb out of some powder that he finds in the <laughs> in the janitor's room like pours a couple of things together he creates this massive bomb fantastic well i mean i didn't know they, they taught those things in fireman school well you do wonder how this stadium passed its uh, fire inspection by van damme <laughs> if all this kind of dangerous material is just has just been left lying around but it's probably not a point that we should spend a lot of time thinking about let's be positive exactly for me further evidence of this film's comedic origins can be seen in the scene where van damme in order to avoid capture by the terrorists dresses up as the goalie for one of the ice hockey teams and ends up having to play a part of the game in goal for one of the teams here and for me that's kind of like a crucial moment in the film because you're either going to go with this film at that moment or you're going to think this film has jumped the shark. So where are you on this kind of divisive moment? By the time I got to that point, I was kind of, I'd accepted that this is, you just got to accept the film for what it is. There's no kind of rhyme or reason. I think that the original goalkeeper is ill. So he's in the locker room when Van Damme's in there and just decides to put her, because he's trying to get away from the goons who are after him. So he thinks the best way would be to wear up you know hockey gear and with a hockey mask and no one can recognize him and go out onto the ice i think it's just a way of getting the hockey actually indirectly into uh you know the plot i don't know it's a bit ridiculous isn't it well it's completely ridiculous but i kind of think i was ready for that for that moment yeah. in the film because i think they might as well just go completely over the top they might as well go completely balls out and i think that was a worthy addition to this uh, this film and as you say he makes a, a kind of a crucial save in the goal for the the team that he's playing for and he also then has that moment on the ice where there's quite a lot of things that have been very subtly crowbarred into the script that then pay off at later points and we see one of them in this scene because there's oh, a very, I know where this is going there's a very irrelevant moment earlier in the film where the daughter and his son they kind of got this gimmick of doing a gesturing I love you in sign language to each other and because obviously no one can recognise Van Damme in all his uh, ice hockey goalkeepers gear he is able to use the power of sign language to signal to his children that hey look it's me I'm in goal I've just saved that crew Crucial, uh, that crucial goal and then it cuts to his son wide-eyed in the audience <laughs> hey that's my dad on the ice i can't believe it i have to be honest there's a lot of things i've enjoyed the film but and you know there's a lot of things wrong with the film that is the worst cheesiest <laughs> unnecessary scene i think i've ever seen it's so <laughs> awful and unnecessary i can't believe they kept it in Something else, though, that's a bit different about this action film is the villain who is played here by Powers Booth. And there's some very interesting sort of things going on with his character because I don't think we ever find out his name and his character has no backstory. There's a few hints as to what it might be, but there's never really an explanation as to what it is. And we don't ever really find out what his motivation is. And, you know, his character almost seems to be aware that he's a, a villain in a genre action movie. Dara, what did you make of his character here? I really liked him. I disagree with you in terms of having no motivation. I think quite a few times it's mentioned that really his only motivation is money. He does mention that he, he knows a lot of detail about the FBI operations. So um, he obviously what they I think they 
twig that he worked in the uh, FBI at one point. I haven't seen Powers, but you you probably more familiar with him than I am. But I've not seen him in a lot of um, a lot of films, and I really like him as a as a sort of evil bad guy. He does portray he's got that sort of psychopathic but suave quality. So I buy him as a, as a murderer randomly shooting people in the VIP box just to get what he needs. I really enjoyed his performance. I thought it was um, it was great. Well, I think you've perhaps missed out on uh, some of the elements that within this film because he's not meant to be uh, an FBI, a former FBI agent. He's meant to be a former member of the Secret Service because he's completely au fait with the ways in which the Secret Service will you know, try to protect um, the vice president. But in terms of his motivation, I think his motivation, yeah, he's he's there for the money, but you don't understand, you don't ever understand why does he want that money? And he's asked at various points, what do you want? And one of his responses is to say, I want world peace, an end to bigotry and no more minimals. And that's almost like a parody of middle class liberals views there. At another point, another character asks him, you know, why are you doing this? And he, he says, I'm just another disillusioned patriot with a yen to fulfill my personal ambition. So kind of giving these sort of fancy yet glib answers that don't really answer the question. And I think that that is part of the origins of this film where it was meant to be a sort of parody. So he's giving these sort of quasi liberal justifications. Then on another occasion, he's just almost acknowledging the fact that he is, hey, I'm just a sort of cardboard cutout villain here by just sort of saying, yeah, I'm a disillusioned patriot. So I think that, that there is this idea that he is just this sort of cardboard cutout sort of villain, but they have some fun with that. I don't know whether that was just gremlins with the script or he generally didn't have any motivation and he was just sort of a psychopath type character who just liked toying with people. So, you know, when people ask him questions, he would just you know, make flowery statements up just to, you know, satisfy himself. Well, I think we could both agree that he is perhaps one of the most ruthless villains that uh, has ever graced uh, an action movie. And we see lots of examples of that within this film. And there's a scene where uh, somebody seems to be having some sort of seizure or epileptic fit. And one of the characters says, this man needs a doctor. And Powers Booth just shoots him dead and says, well, now he doesn't. And there's also a moment where um, Powers Booth shoots a man and the vice president turns very sternly towards Powers Booth and says that man had a five-year-old boy a three-year-old girl and his wife is pregnant and Paz Booth just goes well I'll send a card and you know <laughs> he's got these uh, he's got a great uh, louche attitude towards yeah. uh, murder there's also another line when I think someone goes to he does something awful and one of the one of the guys goes to threaten him and he goes go ahead dead heroes get the best funerals so they work <laughs> he's got some good lines he's uh, charismatic you know, I, d- I don't know. Do you prefer uh, Alan Rickman in Die Hard or do you prefer Powers Booth? Oh, see, that's a good question. See, because I think Powers Booth is very Gruberish because, as you've already mentioned, he savors the wine that he's drinking. He's got a very expensive watch. So clearly he likes uh, expensive the finer things. Yeah, he likes the finer things in life. And there's also a wonderful scene where he very indolently eats some prawns that have, uh, oh, yeah. you know, some of the corporate hospitality that's been uh, <laughs> left in this uh, in this box. So I probably am going to go with Gruber, go with uh, Alan Rickman. But I'd say Powers Booth really runs Alan Rickman a very, very close second. I think that's fair. I think he's one of the high points. Apart from the exploding helicopter, Powers Booth is an undiscovered joy for me. 
Okay, well, let's take a short break, and when we come back, let's go into those exploding helicopters in more detail. He brings the popcorn. She brings the roses. (sighs) Subject Cinema, a tasty new film topic each week with a side order of film reviews. Yum. T.C. Kirkham. But I'm Jane. Kim Brown. What? Over half a million listeners, and you could be the next one. Subjectcinema.com Real movies for real people. We're back, and now we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action, and we've got two exploding helicopters to discuss here. The first takes place about halfway through the film. Despite warnings not to intervene, the police send in a helicopter with a SWAT team on board to take on the terrorists. The terrorists, though, have anticipated this plan and have a henchman stationed on a nearby roof with a rocket launcher. He fires his bazooka at the chopper, which immediately explodes. Dara, what did you make of this chopper fireball? Well, this one was the one I thought was just awful. It was like an afterthought. Obviously, you've got the hint, you've got this goon on a, a nearby roof, shoots the RPG, that bit looks okay. There's two helicopters hovering around the, the Civic Stadium. It looks like when the you see the trail of the uh, RPG go towards the helicopters, there's an explosion. doesn't really look like it's actually exploding hitting the helicopter it's almost like an explosion by the side of the helicopter then both of the the helicopters actually have swap members dangling from them the one that's on the helicopter explodes just falls to his death on a, on a car below the helicopter that's got blown up just disappears there's no shrapnel there's no debris there's no falling metal there's no it got vaporized it's almost <laughs> like they just thought we've got a helicopter budget to exploding helicopter budget on this film we're going to spend it all on the final film this one we just won't bother. We just concentrate on the guy falling to his death. We have talked about this particular bugbear with exploding helicopter scenes before, which is the absence of, of wreckage in an exploding helicopter scene. And this is a prime example of that. And I think you described it uh, perfectly. This this helicopter just vaporises and there's no debris goes anywhere. The only evidence that this helicopter ever existed was the fact that this uh, poor old SWAT team guy, you know, falls out of the sky onto a car. Yeah, it's weird. It's poor and rubbish. Let's move on to the good scene. Yeah, let's move on to talking about the uh, piece de resistance of exploding helicopters uh, in this film. And that takes place at the end of the film. Uh, With his scheme in tatters, Powers Booth tries to make a getaway disguised in a comedy wig and moustache. He gets up onto the roof of the stadium where he's got a helicopter waiting. After brawling with Van Damme, Booth boards the chopper which begins to fly away. But with uncanny precision for a former fireman, a JCVD shoots the pilot through the bottom of the helicopter. Pilot slumps back, making the nose of the helicopter point directly upwards. Uh, And with no vertical lift, the helicopter plunges downward onto the ice rink. On its journey down, which takes place in slow motion, we get to see Booth and Van Damme exchange a few meaningful looks. And when the chopper crashes into the ice rink, it violently explodes. Dara, what are your feelings on this chopper fireball? Well, it's pretty amazing. As you described earlier on, it's kind of got an operatic quality. I think the slow motion element. So one thing we haven't mentioned is um, Powers Booth on his escape. Basically, his whole plan fails um, to sort of blow up the stadium because... Um, Van Damme has managed to get to some of the bombs around the stadium. So one of the bombs does actually manage to go off, causes a bit of carnage and all the fans sort of flee. And he takes the opportunity to escape the stadium with all the fleeing fans by donning 
the most ridiculous disguise <laughs> you've ever seen. This is a man whose uh, criminal masterminds obviously got a few quid in his pocket, and yet he it seems like he's gone to the pound shop to get his uh, disguise because he's wearing a, a 70s blonde wig and porn star moustache. The sort of thing you'd expect in a Beastie Boys video. He's like a sabotage extra. And um, so when he's in his helicopter, he gets shot down and goes comes down in slow motion through the roof. And yeah, there's a, there's a lingering sort of shot between a sort of uh, relieved but you know angry Van Damme sort of slumped on the roof and uh, Powers Booth, who's basically plummeting to his death. What I really enjoyed about it was the look, obviously the look on his face combined with the uh, his stupid hair <laughs> and moustache. It's it, a bizarre sort of tragic, tragic comedy sort of amalgam. It's kind of got it got me right to the core. I had to watch it a few times, <laughs> and and, and, the, and uh, the sort of. A shout, you know, he screams on his way down. It's for what seems like an eternity. Very powerful scene. I don't know if they intended it to be as powerful as it was, but <laughs> it's sort of the one I, I need to, I actually watched it three times. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it that much because I really, really love this Exploding Helicopter for exactly the reasons that you've identified is the fact that, you know, they've set Powers Booth up as this absolutely thoroughly ruthless villain but they then have him meet his demise as you say dressed up as some sort of comedy porn star and you know he's got this look on his face as he's plummeting in this crippled helicopter down to the ice rink he's got this pained grieved look on his face and you know you sort of wonder what's why is that expression there is it because he realized his plan has been thwarted by this fireman or is it because he realizes that you know he's going to meet his death looking like a complete fool there's many reasons we could uh, look into uh, Powers Booth's motivation as he as he reaches his death. How he does look completely distraught and the sort of howling as he hits the floor. For everything that's good about this uh, explosion, I, far be it for me to be the negative one here. But there are some very ropey bits of CGI in it because what happens is when Van Damme's on the roof, he shoots through the fuselage of the helicopter killing the pilot who then flips the helicopter into sort of a 90 degree position obviously it runs at you know there's no uh, vertical lift anymore but it falls absolutely dead straight <laughs> down uh, almost like something out of photoshop which just dragged it down through the roof and you can see it's all it, it looks really superimposed through the thing i don't know who's done their special effects but it looks really ropey and you've got like uh, van damme on the roof as well he look he, he looks superimposed there as well and then you get sort of separate shots we actually from the ground where you actually see the, a real helicopter fall. And that's a genuine helicopter. You can see it generally crumple on the ice, mm. generally explode. There's some nice sort of um, fireworks that fire off it. It looks impressive when it goes through the roof. But the actual it's, – it's a very ambitious idea for, for them to do, obviously, a helicopter falling through the roof. They haven't got the kind of technical nous or maybe 1995 it was past there. But, you know – you could probably do that today, I'd imagine. You'd probably do that today on a laptop. I wouldn't be surprised and make it look <laughs> credible. But back then, it probably would have required funds far beyond uh, the abilities of uh, of the director. Well, I do understand the point you're making, that aspect of the uh, explosion where the helicopter does seem to just sort of uh, slide down on some sort of ruler because it is just going dead straight down towards the ground. It slight, slightly looks a bit unrealistic and looks a bit odd. But, you know, there were some really nice touches within this uh, uh, scene because we see the helicopter fuselage crumple onto the ice rink below. We get to see the explosion from multiple different angles. So we get every chance to thoroughly enjoy this particular exploding helicopter and there's a nice sort of moment after it has exploded where 
it cuts back to the uh, face of Van Damme's daughter and yeah. she wears glasses and we can see the wreckage of the exploding helicopter reflected in her spectacles and I thought you know That's that was a nice little directorial uh, mm-hmm. flourish that Peter Hyams added in. Apparently they, that scene, they had a 400 foot crane picked up and lowered the helicopter to get it to smash into the arena. Yeah, they had nine cameras involved for, for those multiple scenes. So, you know, they put a lot of thought into it. A lot of money has obviously gone into it. It's just let down by the 90 CGI that they obviously had to do. There's no way mechanically you could do that, I don't think. So, yeah, all in all, the drama of it really is the, the most important aspect and they they definitely deliver here. So what do you think we learned from this exploding helicopter? What do you think that we saw that was new here? It's not every day you see a helicopter's tilting at 90 degrees and falling through hockey ceilings, retractable uh, ceilings. You know, they've introduced sort of other elements in here. You've got the, they've got the nice touch with the daughter and the sort of pathos and the reflection of the explosion on her glasses. And obviously the <laughs> the kind of uh, tragic comedy value of uh, Powers Booth in a wig kind of plummeting to his death, howling like for what seems like an eternity. He does howl for ages in this bit. It's like it really gets to you, gets to your core. It's like a ba- it's like hearing a baby cry. You can't ignore it. It just gets to you. So I think maybe there's a lesson for directors there if they want uh, a helicopter explosion to be memorable is to get some human emotion in there that we want to see the real suffering of the people, you know, see their final seconds uh, inside a, a burning wreckage of a helicopter. We need to see what they're going through for it to really hit home. Amen to that, brother. Well, I think that wraps things up nicely for this show. Dara, thanks for joining me once again. Pleasure as always. And no more Jean-Claude Van Damme's for at least a couple of weeks, please. I'll see what I can do. Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website. Follow us on Twitter or just spread the word about what we're doing. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. That's it, man. Game over, man.